Hello and welcome to the end of year edition of Plants and Pipettes. I'm Tegan. Hi, I'm Joram. Yeah. And this is our final episode of the season, I think we decided. Yeah. The year. Yeah. yeah. We're done, guys. We're tired. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to sleep for the next two weeks. I mean, you can maybe tell by the, by the fact that we, I don't know how many weeks we skipped, one or two? We skipped one week. Only one week. It felt like we skipped two weeks. Um, but we, In my defense, I was sick. I had to sleep. Yeah, but I also, um, I'm at the edge of my, my what's it, like my energy. Um, so yeah, that's why it took a while for us to get back together for an episode. And also like on the blog, there hasn't been that much happening. Um, Dude, we're running the advent calendar. Stop telling people we're not doing anything. Yeah, but we're, we're not we're... publishing things on the website. The website looks the same. It's where Yes, but we're running our advent calendar on the social medias, which is, you know, our award for writing every single day in December last year. Um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> every day. <laughs> Somebody's great idea. Whose idea was that, Yaro? Yeah, I mean, now we, we're milking it for what it's worth. So um, I'm actually very proud of my idea last year, although it was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can't imagine doing that this year. <laughs> Last okay. year was so different from now. Although I was in Australia last year at this time. Yeah. It was just was before awesome. you moved, right? Before you moved. Um, no, after I moved. So I'd moved to London and then I did my new job for like two weeks and I was like, adios. I have a, um, I had a wedding actually in Australia uh, yeah. from one of my friends who actually anyway lives in London, but all of our, our family, her family and our friends are, are down in Australia. So I went back over the Christmas break to Australia. Mm-hmm. Got some sun. <laughs> it's crazy to think about what was normal a year ago and what isn't at all normal now. Like, yeah, I mean, it's been said a million times, but uh, I have that now. Whenever I see people in media from before 2020 that are close to each other, that are hanging around in closed spaces, um, that are huddled up in groups, I'm just like. No, it's weird, do isn't that. it? Like, I was watching a film and there was people just like you know hanging out in a bar, and I, I started to feel anxious about it. And then I was like, "What is happening?" I know that this is you know fake and also pre-COVID. Like, yeah, it's not real into, but it was just already making me like, "Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, this is not okay." Like, it's so in deeply ingrained now people. that I feel uncomfortable just thinking about crowds. Um, that I wonder how it will be uh, once we will be able to hang around in crowds again. Like once we have the vaccine. Um, I mean, I wouldn't mind like ke keeping my distance from strangers for a little bit longer and wearing a mask in public, especially during flu season. Um, yeah. But just hanging out with friends. I enjoy the idea of people not being allowed to touch me. That yeah. seems fun. <laughs> yeah. You can touch me only with my permission. That seems like a win. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's. I think. I think anyway, it's not going to be straight back. It's, it's going to be a gradual return anyway. So that will kind of ease us back into having to be social and getting through all of that. What have you been up to in the last couple of weeks apart from sleepiness? Um, I mean, there was one thing that was, yeah, I think over two weeks ago now, but both of us did. We took part in this online course. There was a lot of. Oh fun. yeah. Yeah, that um, was fun. Where we were um, experts. That yeah. was shocking in itself i would say we were science communication experts um you were talking about social media i was talking about podcasting um and then we had a big group call that was actually quite fun and quite interesting where we answered questions from people which was really weird to be in that chair of like the expert that has to have a smart answer to many good questions 
It was it was really nicely done. There was so there was us, and then there was somebody talking about YouTube videos, somebody talking about Twitter. Um, what was the other thing? Blogging. Uh, blogging, yeah, of course. Um, and there was also some other courses about like using LinkedIn and sort of more professional networks, but that person wasn't in the discussion. But the moderator was really, really good. So I actually did a great job at fielding questions that were coming in via the Zoom, you know, chat function and then getting it back. And I actually really enjoyed this. I enjoyed, there was like, you know, six of us talking, so you'd wait your turn, but while you're waiting your turn, you could kind of field the questions that were coming into you in the chat box and respond to those. And it was a really fun dynamic, actually. It was it was pretty exciting. Yeah, uh, it was one of the remote event things of this year that was actually quite pleasant. Um, I don't know how, how many Zoom calls you have to endure during your work time. Um, I have now, it, it starts to become more and more now. And there's some good ones, But the majority of them, uh, I, I find it really hard to stay focused and everything. Just like staring at the screen with like four faces that hardly move at all because they're all staring at their screens. Um, it's not my favorite way in the world to communicate with people, <laughs> I have to say. Um, yeah, so I also did this week um, this Life After PhD um, kind of... Uh, seminar series so i was just talking about you know what my career has been since i completed my phd um there was something run by the humboldt university and i found that quite weird because i am talking to an audience but i can't see their reaction um especially because i was sharing my screen so i could mostly just see my slides um which was good because I, i had to see my slides to kind of talk through things um but then i see my face and then i could see the organizer's face but i couldn't see anybody else most of them had their camera off because obviously in large groups that also helps but at the same time i don't know if like somebody left or came back in but there was like some shifts in the the organization of of the the names that i could see so i could see a few names with without video And at one stage, I just had this panic that everybody was leaving because I was like, did, did something just move? Like, did, did like five people? And I could only see like four of the boxes. And I was like, oh my goodness, it's only me, the organizer and like three other people now. This is ridiculous. And I was getting like super panicky. Um, it was okay. It was great. I got some nice questions about, you know, how it's been to go through my career and, and start doing the editing and stuff. But it was definitely a different experience. And especially... Personally, I really enjoy interacting with the audience and I, I like like talking to the audience That's and not being able to do that, not to have that like visual feedback. I find that quite disconcerting. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. really weird. Absolutely. I, I feel the same way. And it's really weird because I try to usually when I do sort of non-scientific talks, I try to make them at least a little bit interactive, just like asking questions where I can get an immediate response, maybe if, even if it's just a show of hands or something like that, to sort of um, yeah, do something a bit more dynamic, a bit more interesting. Um, and that is just completely impossible just because of the delay as well. Like it, it completely breaks the flow if you say like, oh, um, write in the chat or like uh, wave your hand in the camera if you agree with this and that. And then you have to wait and you have to see and then some people are a little bit behind and they or they first have to turn something on and suddenly you have like this 30 second break in your flow um, just to get like a, a completely meaningless reaction that you just in a regular talk would just use like within five seconds and it would be over. Um, so. But that's also like if you're sharing your screen, you can't see all of the faces as easily either, right? It's kind yeah. of this, yeah. Anyway, I think, I mean, it's it's interesting and it's it's kind of, it's, 
I don't think it's bad. I think it's just a different way of communicating and we have to get used to it. And I'm not so far used to it. I have only done like this one talk over Zoom and I was like, oh, this is a bizarre feeling. Like what's what's happening here? Yeah, I, I think it's just like a, a, a technique that we all collectively have to figure out to make it enjoyable um, and make it so that we can actually be I mean, right now everybody's pushing through it because we have no other choice, but it would be nice if you would continue some of it in a good way in the future to be more accessible and have more people able to take part in it because you don't have yeah. to be in a physical location. Yeah, but yeah, and I'm 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 currently attending a conference for work, like um, like the British Ecological Society conference, and that's like going quite nicely. Like they have sessions with multiple speakers, and then that gives that opportunity that. Um, somebody else can answer questions when the next speaker is talking as well. So it's kind of got that balance. And it's, it's working well. And it, yeah, as you said, it would be really nice to see this continuing on into 2021, 2022 yeah. and so on. Yeah. Yeah. I have some another big presentation coming up where I'm the first time in, in ages a little bit scared really because I, I like doing presentations. But um, this one is for the Remote Congress. Um, so Congress is a big event in Germany every winter between Christmas and New Year's Eve, um, where lots of like nerds and hackers and, and the type come together um, in, I think, I don't know if it's between over 10,000 or over 20,000 people that come during four days to um, a place in Leipzig usually. Uh, and they do all kinds of fun stuff like they do talks but also like projects and workshops and just meeting people that you only see once a year and it's all like uh, colorful lights and it's a, a really cool atmosphere but of course this can't happen this year so this year it's a all, also a remote experience and I um, suggested like I, I entered uh, or answered a call with it that I wanted to give a talk and I got accepted which was exciting in the first uh, um, place because um yeah, these slots are usually not that easy to get. But now I have to do a remote talk about um, Science 101 is what I ca call it. So I want to give like a very basic understanding how the scientific system works, how science works, how you read scientific information so that when people come across any type of scientific information, they have a sort of gut feeling how to um, put that into context, how to react to that, what to learn from mm -hmm. it. That's my, my aim of it. But now I have to actually pre-produce it and... I, I I know that this will be like at least hundreds of people will see that maybe even up to a thousand or more. And will you pre-record it or will you? Yeah, like yeah. I'm pre I'm producing a video for it actually. Like I'm trying to do some some things with like animations with like drone stuff because I I I hope that this will be more exciting than just seeing my t my face talking to a camera <laughs> for forty minutes. Um, but yeah, now I'm like I have to pressure on that it has to be good because I know that just out of like many people will see it um but i don't know like i hope many people will also like it uh and yeah, yeah. that's the first time that's that kind of this thing of where you like you commit to something knowing that you're gonna be super stressed out to do it and it's gonna be a deadline over your head that you know you have to work hard to get something good and event like it just it, it adds so much pressure but then you're like okay i'm glad i did it once it's over but there's yeah. like this this entire dreading period that comes before it where you're like oh why did i do why did i make this choice and even like like for me with doing this um this instagram like the social media talk i was like like you basically had to talk me into it because i was like oh i'm gonna i know before i even commit that i'm gonna regret it because it's something completely new 
and having the mental energy to try something new. I was also recording a video and I haven't done that before at all. was like <laughs> insane, but yeah. yeah, fun times. This is how we, I don't know, grow, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and your computer broke just before you uh, had to do oh, the video and it was stressful. And for me, I just realized that for the software that I want to use, I have to update my system and there was like a whole thing um i'm happy it's always that it's a whole actually, thing it's always a whole thing yeah I, i'm happy it's actually running now but i was doing this like i don't know four hours before we wanted to record i was like doing a major system upgrade um because that was the only time i had <laughs> but um and i'm i'm really happy that it seems to be working you, you know what that's that's what christmas day is for this year like <laughs> it's not going to be visiting family it's going to be like sitting in my home and backing up my computer and <laughs> like cleaning storage and stuff like all those fun things oh yeah yeah that will be fun this year yeah so um that's what happened and what is going to happen and apart from that like where yeah, we are in in a lockdown now in germany uh until 10th of january pretty much no contact whatsoever no childcare. no um i mean we are on holiday soon but uh organizing home office not really going out for anything so uh, yeah london also went back to tier three as of today i think because um the numbers have not really we had a lockdown but it wasn't really a lockdown lockdown it was like this whole like don't go out out boris johnson thing and people still went out even though not out out and unsurprisingly things didn't get better so yeah we're right there with you um although i think we're supposed to still be out in time for christmas i'm not really sure i'm not sure what's going to happen yeah um hope all of you guys are staying sane out there and holding on and and yeah. managing to find things to keep your your brain unstressed and yeah. you know yeah do yeah. what you can or read a book books are good books are good <laughs> i still have to read a pretty much a whole book <laughs> i'm like 50 yeah, out Yara of 300 pages in <laughs> have a, a recording of the plant book club that we do with ellen and actually we have also two guests coming on this weekend i think um and neither of us has started the book or your is now 50 pages into the book yeah but that that is pretty much par for the course for both of us i would say <laughs> yes it's always pretty last minute um we're like we'll give ourselves one month and then before the one month is up we're like guys how about like not this weekend but next weekend because you know and then yeah yeah, yeah. lack of organizational skills yeah yeah and but it's like a side hustle to a side hustle so i don't feel super guilty about yeah same um being terrible i'm, I'm just also, happy if i managed to read at all because i i have a terrible attention span internet broke me and so i'm happy if i managed to read any number of pages at all yeah I'm really like, I think the thing is when you get exhausted, you also, you lack the energy to commit and then you end up doing these really harmful things where you just like sit and watch 15 episodes of Dawson's Creek or just like watch Instagram stories on an endless loop because there's always new content and this is where I got last week and now I have to keep my phone away from my bed or I just like lie in my bed and <laughs> you know want to sleep but also don't sleep. Yeah. Yeah. I also, um, my workplace had a Christmas party yesterday, which obviously was an online Christmas party because, um, you know, COVID. And it was it was kind of fun. Like there was some parts of which were like, I mean, it was a bit, it was an online Christmas party. So there's there's really strong limitations with what you can do. But one thing I did like is that they had like escape rooms, like a virtual escape room. Ooh. 
So they broke, there was like a, a hundred and plus people, maybe 150 people, but they broke us into small groups of like four or five. And then we, in these groups, went into this kind of virtual escape room and had to go around and find the clues. And like you use an app on your phone and then there's also like an interactive web page where you have to like use your phone and scan a picture with the camera from your phone and it gives like a 3d you know by by putting that onto the the picture it gives like an extra clue pops up and like Mm. it was actually really nicely done and yeah i was i was pleasantly surprised that these things have kind of popped up in response to us all being locked down (laughs) i mean maybe escaping from a room is not what a lot of people want to do while they're like stuck in a room in covid but i actually really enjoyed it so Yeah. yeah it was nice and it was definitely one of those things where, like, it's good for a company mixer because they put you in randomly allocated groups. So you did get to know, like, two or three other people who you otherwise wouldn't interact with in the company. So Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to do escape rooms um, for a while. I, I think I never d- did, like, a proper real one. Um, I played, like, there's some adventure games, um, like, back in the day. It's, like, I don't know, 10 years ago, there were some, like, flash games where you had to escape rooms. And then... Um, there's a, like a card game or like a paper physical box game um, where you also have to sort of escape a room and you can do that at home with like four people um, and we did that once and that was also a lot of fun because then you had like riddles and and things within like this box and you could only play it once um, you would sort of destroy the box while playing with it um, but in the end you would solve a number of, of riddles and then escape the i think in this case there was like a an arctic base that we were um set to escape from um but it was a lot of fun i really enjoy these these things and um yeah so maybe you can send me the link for this virtual thing and i can uh maybe find some people to do that with as well i think that would be also nice for like the upcoming winter break Um, yeah and this is kind of um like when I was going through high school, these murder mystery parties were quite a big thing and you'd come as a character and then somebody will have died and you have to work out who did what. And everybody had these like crazy insane backstories of, of <laughs> their motivations. And, you know, they, they were all like drug dealers and having an affair with everyone. Like there's like just all the drama piled into one room. Um, but I think that sort of stuff should also be available online. So that would be quite fun for the long dark hard cold winter that's coming up i think oh yeah we can get more into those kind of things yeah oh nice that's that's a really good idea um i'll see if i can organize something because yeah usually on new year's if we don't do a big party but we gather a couple of friends and do we we do something small and fun like this so this year it would be awesome to do something virtual i was just planning to like set fire to things and scream a lot and pretend i had fireworks <laughs> yeah, they actually stop uh, Wait, selling fireworks drunk. in Germany. Get drunk, then set fire things, then scream a lot, and then probably like slice, like smash glass on the ground. That seems to happen a lot as well. And then hurt myself either by burning or by by glass. That would be the the ultimate outcome of a new year. <laughs> and then go to the emergency room in a pandemic. Okay, That's not a very smart plan, Tegan. All right, I'll think about it. <laughs> while we think about it, let's talk about a little bit um I, I would say like let's talk about plant science but i have no idea what you brought today and we're doing a little bit of a special episode where we're just going to do like uh our favorite fun facts so yeah maybe and before fun each fun plants? fact yoram is gonna sing he a one line of his favorite christmas song 
I, I don't have favorite Christmas songs. Of course you have a favorite Christmas song. No. Hang on, stop. We have to discuss this. You don't have a favorite Christmas song? No, I, I don't listen to Christmas music. And I never know the words to Christmas music. I I mean, like, there's an objectively the best Christmas song. There's a Christmas song that's, like, better than all of the Christmas songs combined. I mean... Total Eclipse of the Heart is not really a Christmas song, so I don't know where you're pulling that from. I would say Wham! Last Christmas is like the best song. I, I love it. I love it. I could listen to it on a loop. Um, no. I have a memory when I was really young. I was 11 years old. My family went to Italy for one Christmas and they had this um, word-based game show that was called, I think, Passaparola. And it was so old-fashioned and creepy because every, like... 10 minutes they would have kind of like a commercial break but it wasn't cutting to ads it was just like women in scanty like bikini outfits would come out and do a sexy dance like that was in the middle of this game show just like on normal like 7 p.m in the evening there'd be this like ladies doing all and you know like flirting around and then back to the old male host who would give his wisdom and of course we were there over christmas so like every second song they would be like last christmas i gave you my heart and they're like sexy dancing and like doing heart figures with their hands and like this is burned in my memory as just <laughs> and you like to remember that that sounds like a moment <laughs> I mean, that clearly i would like the to sexism forget. is horrible but <laughs> i i i found it i was so shocked at the time that it just like became a permanent part of like who i am as a person that this like song exists like one of the defining characters like fe- turning point in my life was definitely like seeing these women and being like "Mm, okay um (laughs) and it's like just legitimately a good song it's a great video clip um Uh, yeah it's it's i'm gonna say it's not for me but i don't hate it with a passion as like the entire internet i know that so many people um really hate it and dread the moment i hear it for the first time it's i think it's like wham and mariah carey are the two most hated christmas songs um, that's because they're the most played ones I think yeah i guess problem, so right like but yeah upside of being in a pandemic i didn't go to any stores or shops that would play music um so i and i don't listen to the radio i pretty much just listen to music that i put on so there was no i somehow still managed to get christmas songs i had to go to the post office to t- post some things and they were playing like it was like a small convenience store with like a post bit. They were playing Christmas songs so loud I could barely understand what was happening. And keep in mind we're both wearing masks as well, so it was really just like this is so aggressive and unnecessary that you're playing these stupid songs. But yeah, yeah. There's another one also. While we're on the sexist theme, I really, really, really love um, "Baby It's Cold Outside," <laughs> 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 which is like. Um, not, but it's so creepy. It's such it's a so creepy, creepy song. Even as a non-native speaker, I find I get like shivers when I listen to this guy being like, "Hey, don't go!" And she's like doing all of the high context, uh, telling him off and being like, "No, really, I want to leave now." And he's like, "No, no, 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 no." But it's yeah, cold. and like obviously the correct ending for that song is for her to like spray pepper spray in his eyes, lightly chair him in the face, and like run out and slam the door. Um, but I, I didn't I didn't hear this song when I was younger. I only heard it like a year or two ago. And I took great joy in singing it to one of our mutual friends. Of course, I would do like the it's cold outside, like the deep voice. And I mean, honestly, like if I sing, I want to be singing in this like fake Elvis voice. That's kind of 
<laughs> like I don't have a beautiful singing voice, so that's where I want to go. Um, <laughs> so I spent like a few months singing this song at our friend and like kind of like hustling up to him and being like, Boo, it's cold outside every time it was cold outside, which like in Germany it was for five months. Um, yes. <laughs> so now like when I hear it, I think of him as well. Like I heard it the other day in the shops and I just messaged him and like, they're playing our song. And he's like, we what have song? a song. <laughs> but then when I told him what song, he's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I do vaguely recall you harassing me with that, with that music. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It's I, a great I, song. I know of all of these songs, but, um, I don't care for any of them. There's really no Christmas music. I never put on Christmas music. And to me, Christmas music is more like whenever I notice it, it's more of a nuisance than something that adds to the total atmosphere for it to me. So yeah, don't have a but favorite Christmas have, song. Like there's a couple of things. Sometimes I step outside and like, okay, this is going to sound, this is the corniest thing I've ever said on this podcast. I never admitted out loud. Like sometimes I step outside and it's just so beautiful. Like, if it's in the morning, that song from Oliver starts singing in my head where it's like, who will buy this wonderful morning? And everybody starts singing that in my head. Or if it's like just nice, I get that like, what a wonderful world. I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Um, and also when it's cold, when I step outside, I'm like, oh, shit, it's cold. And then it's like, baby, it's cold outside. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, shit, it got dark. Baby, it's dark outside. <laughs> and then I'm just like... <laughs> I'm just sitting there, like, giggling to myself and being like, baby, it's cold outside. I mean, it, it does sound like fun. Um, I, I'm it does mean that I'm walking down my street, like, grinning like a maniac. But, like, firstly, I'm, I'm wearing a mask all the time so nobody can tell I'm crazy. Or if I don't have a mask on, they'll keep away from me anyway because I look like a crazy person. So, win-win! <laughs> That's really good with the masks now. You can <laughs> sort of sing along in public quietly or silently um, and nobody notices unless like you do like bad, like strong faces. Um, but if you're just like singing to yourself while listening to music, that's actually very useful with the masks. I try to remember if I have sort of like German songs that were imprinted on me and definitely have like some things that immediately come to mind. But really to no, I that's something that I like. I learned in school, but also would never really sing apart from when other people were singing it sort of in school context or something. So that also, I can't even remember the f proper lyrics of it now. Like really, there's so many traditional German Christmas music where I just don't know the words. And when I am, I when I am in a company, like in uh, accompanied by people who know these songs and they want to sing them, I can just like just stand there and be like okay, do your thing. I don't know the words. I can maybe do like the first line of the chorus because that's the, the title of the song. Um, and mm. that's it. Like there's a Schneeglöckchen song and there's a Tannenbaum song. Um, yeah, I am very non-traditional when it comes to all of the Christmas stuff. So, um, but I have a tree now. Uh, so I'm trying to be a bit more like standard Christmas um, tradition yeah you're the baby now you got to get into that christmas consumerism <laughs> yeah. Embrace it for the good of your child <laughs> all the presents all the decoration buy just all of the things um yeah maybe with time there's, there's like another english song which is called the holly and the ivy and it just starts off like the holly and the ivy when they are both full grown of all the trees and the wood 
the holy best, the crown. And I just don't under like. I don't understand what it's trying to tell me. Like, why does the holy bear the like? What is the message? Of, I'm sure it's about Jesus. Like, it's got to be about God, right? But like, <laughs> I've only known this one line of the song. I've never heard it played. I think I had to learn it for piano as a kid, and that's why I know that first line. But why does the holy have the crown? Like, what's happening here? And why is the ivy even involved? Like, they're not related. Like, ivy is not a Christmas thing. No, no. But I do think that counts as a plant fact. So that's a really nice way to segue into other plant facts. So my plant fact of the day is that Holly wears the crown of all the trees in the wood. Also, Holly's not a freaking tree; it's a bush. Yeah, like it's it's nowhere, no way <laughs> taller and more impressive than any of the trees you find, be it evergreen or um, dropping their leaves. It's more of a jerk. Like I have a tiny sprig of Holly on my desk right now. And I'm, I'm at a conference, so I'm naturally just touching everything, like, because I do that when I'm watching with, you know, idle hands. And I've pricked myself, like, 30 times, and I keep <laughs> on picking it up, and then being like, oh, you bastard, you beat me, and then putting it down again. And then, like, two minutes later, like, oh, my God, oh, why? <laughs> <laughs> who knew, guys? Um, yeah, I, I only know one fact about Holly, and I think we wrote a paper, about, uh, like an article already on the blog about it. I think we mentioned it probably at one point on the podcast. I did it on, like, a lab retreat ages ago, and that's that Holly becomes prickly as a epigenetic response when it gets eaten so maybe maybe yeah so there's epigenetic changes correlating with prickly leaves but yeah with goat munching how causative that is who knows but um yeah and that's the full extent of my knowledge about holly but it's also not not that much of a christmas tree here in germany like we have like the the red christmas starry things um poinsettia poinsettia that we that we have as christmas plants but holly is not like as popular as an english for working out that (laughs) no but you have all of these like um branchy things you've got like the the piney furry things you have a lot of these like kind of table decorations i would say and also like wreaths but your wreaths are horizontal not vertical you don't hang them on a wall you like put them on a table and stick candles in them for advent right yeah 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 i think like a lot of i would say a lot of the german holiday traditions involve really setting fires to thing and just like you know having a really dry branch of some kind one with a lot of essential oils that will really go up in flames if you let it and then just like being like, you know what? Why not? Let's put four candles on this and just like see how yeah. it all goes. <laughs> Literally having the flame five centimeters away from the kindling and just being like, yeah. this is nice. We should like, I feel festive and beautiful and nice when <laughs> I see like this fire has it. It's tradition. It's tradition. It's fine. I mean, it's the thing like they used to just have actual candles clipped onto the tree, right? Like yeah. this was before electric lights. Thank goodness for electric lights. They just like clip the candles in um, but it was also i mean even with electric lights when you still had uh, incandescent lights they could also get v- very hot yeah. um so even then like if they were too close or like in a bad position they could also start fires um i mean now with leds i think we're entering a time now where it's of sort of safe safety <laughs> relative safety um but yeah but uh, christmas trees i think i i have no ideas about the numbers but I imagine that there must have been a spike in like burned homes um, every winter when people yeah. would put literal fire into their drying tree. Yeah. 
All right. So some plant facts, Yaron. What have you? What are you bringing to the table today? So we've decided that we're going to not do our traditional structure and just talk random facts for a bit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Merry Christmas, everyone. We were tired and lazy. <laughs> if people by now, like after half an hour of us talking randomly about Christmas traditions and songs, if they haven't figured out by now that we're talking it's random like, stuff today. <laughs> these poor suckers are just like skipping forward to be like, is it now? Is it now? Like, when do we get to, like, when's it happening? It's not happening. Go home. <laughs> it's not happening. It's, it's happening now. And the first thing that I brought um, is that we told, like, there's this debate uh, in plant molecular researchers or cellular biology researchers, who has the co- coolest organelle that they're studying? Like we both, we, two of us Wait, are cl- uh, chloroplast people. Like we really like the chloroplast. Then we have a friend who is a mitochondria person um, who like, and then we would have all of these discussions, like which organelle is better. And then there's a nu- people studying the nucleus and everything that's going on in there. And they're like, Hey, we are also important. We have all of the, like most of the genome and so on. Um, and as I ex- trans- studied peroxisomes, which like... I'm yeah, but this is your big moment. What is that even? <laughs> peroxisomes are the next big thing. Um, there has been a new study where they found... like Peroxisomes are these like little structures. You can probably tell them better than I can. I can only say they are like these small little bubbles and stuff happens in them that has something to do with oxidation. Yeah, they have a lot of catalase. So it's an enzyme that kind of um, breaks down like kind of radicals and stuff like that. So they it... it cleans up some some damaged things and and breaks down like reactive octave oxygen species and stuff like that i think is it correct am i somewhere near the right yeah, place I, I i hope so I, I i don't know anything about peroxisomes apart from what i said um uh, but like they were believed to just be these little um membrane bubbles in the cell right they are very small and um as far as we know they don't have a genome so I immediately stopped caring for them, but um, they are small and they're doing uh, have function in cellular metabolism in like breaking down things or fatty acid metabolism. Uh, and now a new study uh, found membrane structures within the peroxisome, which is sort of exciting because it means there is something more complicated going on. And it's quite incredible. They did like some super high resolution fluorescence microscopy um, where you could resolve these structures that around like less than five micrometers in size um, and they could resolve them to the point that you can see like blobs of membrane structures within this bigger sort of bubble of membranes um, and that hints at a more complex complex function in peroxisomes um, that was published in nature uh, it's by zachary wright and bonnie bartel um, it's um, we're linking the publications open access it has a, like uh, with fluorescent fru- microscopy you always get these like very pretty pictures these like mm-hmm. glowing color on a black background pictures um, and yeah we don't really know what these compartments are doing they they linked it a little <laughs> bit mean, to to fatty acids um, you mean the subcompartments inside the peroxisomes or the peroxisomes themselves the, the subcompartments yeah okay <laughs> Just to clarify, most people know a lot more about peroxisomes than Yoram and I do, which is <laughs> actually... Um, Very good point. <laughs> uh, just a quick edit here. Um, they don't eat up hydro- uh, ROS. They actually produce ROS as a signaling molecule. Mm. And they do that in their role of like breaking down fats and, you know... Um, uh, 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 like being involved in the synthesis for many important like other signaling molecules or plant hormones like jasmonic acid, salicylic acid, things like that. So quite important. We actually, 
I'm reading this from an article we ourselves wrote last year <laughs> on peroxisomes, um, which are titled The Forgotten Organelle. Um, it says that Yoram wrote the article, but I think that's that's false. I think I wrote the article and for some reason Yoram published it. Um, but it was I asked Yoram to draw a peroxisome and he drew a circle and then drew a square in it. So <laughs> um, there's a really cool thing about peroxisomes is that they have so much of this enzyme catalase, which I think does actually clean up all of the extra hydrogen peroxide that's made in all of these um, breakdown and, and synthesis processes. And there's so much of this catalase, there's so much of this protein enzyme that it actually crystallizes out. So when you have um, electron microscopy, you can often tell the peroxisomes because they've got this like big black square, like this like perfect looking, and it's, it's just a crystal inside these little like circular bubbles of, of membranes. So they're kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's really exciting to see that they have more complicated membrane inter like internally more complicated membrane structures than what we knew before which hints at like a more complex exchange of metabolites or something like these these vesicles they often like fuse together to mix whatever is inside them and then they separate again um so yeah exciting stuff and pretty pictures so this is not at all related to plants, um, but I just wanted to give a shout out to Holly English and Anthony Caravaggi, who have the coolest name for a paper that I found in the last month. Um, the paper is called Where's Wallaby? And then using public records and media reports to describe the status of rednecked wallabies in Britain. Um, well done. Where's Wallaby? Um, it's hard not to love it. Sorry, I'm absolutely the person who will read a paper based on a silly name. <laughs> yes. I think this is a really good tactic. Um, so I got to commend them on that. That's just beautifully yeah. done. And another nicely named paper that I found in the last month is called Endless Forms, Most Stupid, Icky and Small, and then the preponderance of non-charismatic invertebrates as integral to a biologically sound view of life. And this came out um, in the middle of October. It's by Shazansky, Moir and Rundle. And it's actually quite an interesting concept because they're talking about the idea that often when we teach the concept of biological evolution, we use um, vertebrates as the way as an example and this kind of gives a false idea that over evolutionary time the idea of evolution is to make creatures that are more complex and often larger um and you know have yeah they just become more kind of like vertebrate like which is actually not true there's a lot of highly successful organisms i mean most of the organisms out there that have remained icky, sticky, and small, stupid, icky, and small, as this paper says, and that is for a reason. So they give um, some examples that are typically used. So, for example, often they'll talk about um, human hominin evolution to show changes in morphology through evolutionary time. So, you know, like our skulls got bigger and stuff like that. And they say this is great. It's important to teach how humans evolved, but it gives the idea that organisms tend to become larger and also smarter through time. And they say, instead, how about we use the example of a barnacle or a tapeworm to show that 
these animals have actually they're very successful they've they've they're doing great in the world i mean tapeworms are clearly winning at life they live inside your stomach and you feed them they do nothing they're freeloaders um it's the life we all want but they are actually more si- <laughs> they actually have more simple brains than their ancestors they've actually like become less intelligent and that has led to them to have success um so similarly like if you look at horse evolution um you can see like the development of teeth and limbs um but if you instead look at like parasitoid insects you can see that they've actually become smaller and smaller instead of becoming larger and larger like the horses have because becoming smaller is what has allowed them to exploit like new resources or new niches so like because we often focus on like nice things like horses and birds and tigers and bats. I don't know if bats are nice. Um, Peacocks is another example. (laughs) We have this kind of like, like evolution towards beauty and, and what we, we like, but that's not necessarily the same as, as being evolutionary successful. So yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah. And the, there's like some really nice writing in there. So like they're talking about, yeah, the evolution of peacock tails. And they're like, okay, this is showing that you can get more beauty with evolution. Like the male's got more beautiful tails. And they said, if instead you look at like sponges, ostracodes, and two other animal groups that I can't even, xenocolomorphs and placozoans, <laughs> they, they say, while arguably, arguably beautiful to the right beholder, <laughs> These have remained and then like simple and, and pretty much ugly is what they're trying to say. So it's kind of a nice way to write this as well um, throughout the paper. <laughs> uh, I have a story about a cyborg that I brought. Um, cyborgs, is, I, I hope I used the right word. I think now with like there's a new like cyborg game out and everybody's excited. So I don't want to say bad things about cyborgs or wrong things. <laughs> Uh, but to me, also it's like they'll come for you. it's a mixture between like um, living tissue and robots, uh, and that's what researchers made. Uh, and they used the antenna of a moth and attached them to a drone. Um, and they used that because I uh, did that because the antenna of a moth are very good chemical sensors. They are very smart, uh, uh, fast. They are very sensitive and they are very specific. Um, because moths use them to find um, prey or to find flowers that they want to, where they want to drink the nectar and they want to uh, have like a very specific um, profile of uh, chemicals that they, that attract them. Um, And so these sensors are so much better than anything that we can build. Um, No technique like electronic chemical sensor is as fast, as precise and as specific as the antenna of a moth. And so they thought, hey, the antenna of a moth, they sense electrical signals because they have like nerves that send the signals and electrical signals are things that we can put into computers so let's mm-hmm. do that and you can tell by by now that i'm not a computer scientist um but yeah, i'm also wondering what's going on with these moths they're just like hey moth can, can we just borrow your antennas like yeah that's they the- took a moth they ripped its antennas off and like they're like, look, we made this better by removing the moth's antennas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we pretty they, much improved this moth. No, they. I mean, the moth is pretty mu- gets the short end of the stick here. They put them in a fridge, and then when they become do- docile, they snip off the antenna and use them and put them on a drone. No. And then the poor moth can't find its food anymore. I guess they killed the moth. They didn't say that in the article that I read, but 
I don't think it has very high chances of survival. Or maybe they give them like the electronic um, human-made sensors and then it becomes like this a is, very poorly I smell. I was imagining like the, the moth gets to have like robot antenna. Yeah, the the moth is not is not making a profit in winning. this interaction. Yeah. Um, but then they like they put some like micro electrodes in there and they could actually get the signal when this antenna would detect a molecule then it would give an electrical signal that they could read out and then they could feed that into the the computer of the drone and then could fly towards the source of um of the smell and that worked very well and um so it would always uh, position itself sort of i think downwind downwind is the the word so the wind would come up from the front to the drone and then it would smell it and then um if it can detect a molecule it would go continue in that direction if it can't detect a molecule it would go side sideways a little bit um orientate again in the wind and then by doing this maneuver it could then very quickly pinpoint the source of the smell and the idea is that they when we have such a sensor system we can very quickly find things that are that have a very specific chemical signature of course there's always explosives um, that are brought up there but also people like trapped under rubble after an earthquake for example if you would have a, a drone that would be able to smell um, certain compounds that come from humans uh, you could release sort of a swarm of these things and it would I pinpoint mean, on on the smell that is the that's idea what they say but we all know they just want this drone moth army like i mean <laughs> that's how i would justify my work as well if i was creating I mean, it, like it's terrifying machine animal hybrids it's a pretty useless army uh, as of now because it mostly likes to go to flowers so they <laughs> they have this like cyborg. They just kept on getting distracted <laughs> yeah. by like a pretty flower. It I mean it goes to where it's it's programmed to go to from from the moth, and that's like what the moth is interested yeah, in. Yeah, but so you, you could suddenly do that have thing. a drone that flies to where the moth would like to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like you remember, like in in Soviet times, I don't know if I made this up. Um, <laughs> it might have been in the TV show The Americans. Like they would mark people for like with like a spray which would show up on thermal sensing before somebody did a hit on them so you could like spray something on their handbag or on their like on their clothes and then it would like give out like some sort of i don't know if it was thermal a signal that if you were wearing the special magical glasses you could see it but you could spray somebody with like chanel number seven or what is it number five chanel number 12 whatever the hell it is you spray it on them (laughs) and then you release your moths yes uh, yeah, you could do that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, who knows? Like, uh, technically, you could also imagine that you would genetically reprogram the moth to grow then these antenna that would detect something else, and then you would do the operation again and um, make another a cyborg with what, it. What do you mean the operation? You the mean operation removing is the, the moth antenna? Of the, of the antenna. <laughs> this is not the operation. It's the moth murder. You repeat the moth murder. <laughs> And or moth mutilation, depending on what kind of cruelty um, yeah. you want to... <laughs> There's two more fun facts about this story that I want to mention. First up is the name. They obviously called the um, the quadrocopter. Yeah, guess. I mean, it's it's written in our notes, so I hope you didn't read it yet. Oh, I didn't see. Oh, okay. no, I did see it. Okay, I saw it. <laughs> um, they're calling it the smellycopter um mm-hmm. because it can smell and it's a no, quadrocopter sound like it smells bad mm. <laughs> yes <laughs> i i wouldn't want to be near a smellycopter um, it should be a smellocopter <laughs> yeah. but they call it a smellycopter and the other thing is that they 
the the way they manage to orientate the drone downwind is actually a fairly complicated task because if, if you imagine the drone is constantly um, emitting its own air currents and so on so any sensor any small sensor on the drone would potentially be um, disturbed by by its own currents um, and they say in in the story that i read about it they say that from a robotics perspective their solution is a genius um, the classic approach in robotics is to add more sensors and maybe build a fancy algorithm or use machine learning to estimate wind direction and it turns out all you need is to add a fin and that's what they did they had like a little fin and that worked like <laughs> so a rudder like they in got the wind. a dolphin and they cut the fin off a dolphin <laughs> 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 Sorry, I'm going to have to adjust my sound levels on that screech there. <laughs> All you need is a couple of moths and a small-sized dolphin. <laughs> and a drone. And, and a cheap off-the-shelf drone, and then you have your smellicopter. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty gruesome, horrible bit of research, um, but yeah. No, I mean, I can understand that it has real-life um, value. We are just plant scientists who <laughs> are really judgmental, as it turns out. <laughs> But you were attracted to these fancy names before in, in the other papers. I was attracted by the smellicopter. I read about the smellicopter. I was like, what's that? I want you to You were attracted more. by the moth mutilation. Let's be honest. You've, you've never liked <laughs> bugs. And now you're like, you're happy that scientists have finally come out against them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't deny that gives me a sense of satisfaction knowing that there's now an aimless moth flapping around, not finding its flower um, because... A drone is now hovering around the flower, not knowing what to do. But it's like it's it really likes the flower now. Um, yeah. Uh, all right. Um, I think a nice way to segue onto that is to talk about zombies. Um, I don't know if we've discussed this before, <laughs> but I don't mean zombies. I mean zombies. So we're not talking about zombies. It's zombies. Um, and the point of this <laughs> is. As I'm sure all of you are doing, I have now started watching an unhealthy amount of videos and TV in, in this, this current quarantine. And we started watching the Resident Evil movies again, mostly because when there's a pandemic, what better than to do than watch a film about a pandemic? Um, and also it has like a really pretty man in there who's in that other movie when he has that 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 hawk called Horace and he has like the face tattoos and he's like, Horace! And Horace dies. You know the mummy? Uh, you know uh, Brendan Fraser? No. So it's the other dude who plays like the guard of the mummy and he has a hawk and it's called Horace. Um, basically, I love zombies, but a lot of the reason I wanted to watch this Resident Evil movies is so that I could scream Horace at my housemate repeatedly for the last 10 days. Um just, just Google it. Google face tattoos. I'm, I'm, I'm already, yeah. I'm. I've, I think I found a picture of Horace uh, and the and the mummy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. All of you Google it. It'll be worth your time. Pretty, 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 pretty man. Um. <laughs> yeah. Meh. Graham's not phased. <laughs> okay, but he has a hawk, and he really loves this bird. And then, like in the second movie, the bird dies. And then he, like, gets really emotional and he's like, Horace! And it's, like, I have a cold, cold heart and I don't usually feel emotional at, at movies. And this is the deepest movie moment I've ever seen. Like, 100% fresh, 10 out of 10 stars would, would watch this one scene of this movie again and again and again. I thought it's, it's called Horace as, like, the first name Horace. 
H-O-R-A-C-E. But no, it's no, like Horus, R-U-S. Like the, the Egyptian like the god. Egyptian god, because it's the mummy, right? I like would have liked thematic. it better if it's just randomly called Horus the bird. No, it's as Horus. If as, as if the bird's like a middle-aged man. Okay, let's stop talking about Horus and Horus and go back to zombies and zombies. Um, so in this... So Resident Evil... If you don't know the film franchise, I'm now going to explain it to you in a lot of detail. So there's... No, I'm kidding. Um, in the first... <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We're going into very much de- deep detail right now. So this is the, the Resident Evil podcast now. Let's discuss this pretty, pretty man again. Um, anyway, so in the first film, there's a, an outbreak of some virus that makes zombies underground in a facility. In the second film, there's an outbreak in a city that's like Raccoon City. In the third film, there's an outbreak across the whole world. Okay, so zombies have gone across the whole world. And as a, in the very like first two minutes of that third film where zombies are across the whole world, she says, the earth died. So basically everybody became zombies. And as a response, the whole world turned to desert. Does that make sense to you biologically? Like if people become zombies and start eating other people, do plants stop photosynthesizing? Like... (laughs) Do the film producers think that plants only exist because humans, like, grow them inside their apartments? I didn't... I was mad at this, and because I'm a pedantic, annoying person, I spent, like, five minutes complaining about this during the start of the movie. <laughs> and then at one point in the film, we found out, like, that the worst of the worst things that... You know, like, Yoram, what are my top three fears? Uh, crows, zombies, and... Not being addressed by your proper title? Velociraptors, but very well done. So, like, (laughs) in this third film, the crows become zombies. And this kind of makes sense because the crows are, like, they they eat carrion, they eat dead flesh, so they can eat infected humans, and therefore, presumably, the virus is capable of transferring across species. Okay, we can suspend belief here. Fine, that seems fine. I mean, that never happened. It can happen, I get it, but, like, it's, like... (laughs) Okay, this one just happens to. Okay, fine. There's a lot of zombie crows is the take-home message. So then we were discussing, because that was being annoying, whether maybe the bees or like all the pollinators also became zombies. And then instead of wanting to eat flower pollen and nectar, they started wanting to eat other bees. Or like maybe they want to eat humans as well. Like, I'm not really sure how the zombies work. Like when you become a zombie as a bee, do you start eating other bees or do you start eating humans? And then I was Googling zombies, and apparently zombies is already a thing, and it just proves that any idea you ever had is not original. Anyway, the take-home message <laughs> is that there are zombies, but there are also zombie bees. And of course, zombie bees are called zombies, but the B is spelled B-E-E instead of B-I-E, and it's very important that you all know this. Um, and a zombie, not a zombie, but a zombie, is a bee that's been infected by a forehead fly, um, which is Apocephalus borealis. And the flies basically want to lay their eggs inside the abdomen of the bees. So the bees then become like, I don't know, incubators for these larvae, which grow inside the bee. Um, Understandably, the behavior of the bee becomes, and I quote, erratic as the larvae start to develop in their abdomen and they start to like behave kind of weirdly. So they get attracted to light sources and they also um, creepily start going out of their hive at nighttime. So you get these like zombie night bees 
um, and they <laughs> fly around aimlessly in circles. So now you're surrounded by zombie night bees that are like just doing circles, like satanic circles around you. Um, and although disoriented and erratic, they can, of course, still sting. Um, and they also like, it's, it's really sad. They also stop eating um, because they're too busy, you know, being eaten from the inside out. Um, and this is like a real problem in the world. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny that they're called zombies, but it's actually a problem. And there's like a zombie watch because people obviously want to make sure that this forward fly is kept at bay so that like honeybee populations, which are already threatened by pesticides and humans like moving bees around on trucks and um, global warming, obviously, like bees are already not having a good time. And now they also have to worry about being zombies. Anyway. Oh my God. That was... That's such <laughs> that was a terrible ending to the story where I thought it's just like ridiculous to, to think about zombies. And when I Googled it, I first found a, a movie, a 2008 movie. I think that's sort of like a low budget horror movie. Um, yeah. That's what I was imagining. I thought I created a new horror movie called The Zombies. And I was so smug. And then I Googled it and it's been done already. Yeah. By actual bees. Like, who am I to take their stories away from them? But how terrible is it that they they, they are real zombies? And um, if Not you go to zombiewatch.org, um, that's the citizen science project that you mentioned, um, you have a map with all of the uh, like places where the, you see infections and so on um, and where they're doing sampling. And it's quite widespread along the the west coast of the united states which um yeah it's a little bit terrifying to think about that um yeah that that's now a bit of information that's in my head now when i think about zombies and bees alike um this will come up it's not nice (laughs) um that's a little bit unfortunate. So we're now also going to put a picture of Oded Fair, who plays the nice man with the bird Horace in the show notes. So if you want to stop thinking about zombies, you can go and look at Horace the bird. That's a very good idea. Um, as a sort of... Um, and just think Horace in your head. <laughs> just, I, I don't know if... I'm just a horrible person and I find it very funny. Like this horror... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's a very dramatic moment when a person loses their favorite pet and friend and you're just laughing at them. But on the other hand, am I surprised? No. Um, I'm just really impressed that he loves the bird so much, you know? Like, it's... I mean, you you love love cats that you don't even own. Yeah. And post pictures about it, like, every other hour on Instagram. His bird seems a lot more functional than my cat. His bird, like, gives him messages and stuff, like, it... You can tie things to its foot. If I tie something to our cat's foot, she would just like, I don't know, fall over. <laughs> fall over and be like, I'm dead now. <laughs> I have something that's now very much unrelated. Um, I found a story uh, about a tomato that is uh, enriched with a, um, a drug that's used in Parkinson treatment. Uh, and that's been grown now in, in, I think they're starting to grow it in the UK. That's why I found it. Um, and what the, the the story is actually pretty simple. There's a, a drug that can be that is found in uh, in plants already in nature, but it's mostly chemically synthesized, and that makes it rather expensive to purify it. And now they managed to put the enzymes that make this drug. It's called L-dopa. Um, that 
the the pathway that's um, necessary for that, I managed to put that in tomato. And now the tomato are actually accumulating the drug in their fruit. And um, it's very easy to extract it from the fruit because the, the, the drug is water-soluble. So the extraction protocols are fairly easy to do. And the idea is that you can now grow these ge uh, genetically modified tomatoes in gr um, greenhouses that are obviously closed off um, and have like very fine meshes. So they can't, like no pollen can escape. Mm -hmm. um, but with that, uh, you can sort of set up a decentralized way of low-cost production of this drug um, that's used in Parkinson treatment, um, which, yeah, could potentially make it much cheaper to produce this drug, um, which is always a good thing, because that means more access for more people to this type of drug. And the reason why we don't use the, or why it's so beneficial to put that in a tomato instead of using the plants that are naturally making them is that the plants that are actually uh, naturally making them, they are covered in these um, these hairs, these trichomes, that contain a specific compound that can cause allergic re reactions in field workers who harvest the crop. So, mm -hmm. And that only makes it harder to separate the drug clearly from this compound but it's also much harder to actually grow the plant commercially because um yeah you need to have special precautions while tomatoes um i think nobody ever complained that they had to work with or like harvest tomatoes or grow tomatoes um because the plants are actually fairly tame and harmless like not like tobacco for example which is a pain um so yeah so that's I found that a cool, uh, neat little story that shows us like how we can use this idea of of bio refineries of of using plants and especially crop plants like tomatoes to produce chemical compounds that that are interesting for us for medicine or for other reasons. Um, yeah, and I was actually surprised that I managed to do this in a way apparently that it's economically viable because very often when people do that they get like very small amounts of the compound. And apparently they got enough to make it worthwhile actually growing the plants. <laughs> just like, I just think your facts are a little bit more serious than my facts. <laughs> because, <laughs> first of all, I researched them all like weeks ago. <laughs> and also like, you're a little bit twisted. And at least I had to smell a copter. I feel like, like you're, you've like done your homework and i've been like i could do my homework or could i could watch a film about zombies and then justify why this is my homework <laughs> like i'm that person who writes the essay not on the actual essay question but about what they want the essay question to be about <laughs> all right um <laughs> my other fact for the day is about how okay Yoram, I'll, I'll ask you this as a question i think that's the best way to do it Imagine you are really into restoring and like regeneration. So you've got like some, some forest environments. It's hard to access off the beaten track. And you want to promote the growth of certain plant species that have become, you know, limited due to like habitat breakdown over the years. What's the best way to get seeds and, and, and get new plants to grow in these regions? Amazon? doesn't have to be the Amazon. It's just like a general, like, dense forest. No, I meant ordering from Amazon. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, I don't like it. <laughs> no, I don't know how I would promote seeds. Maybe I would stress the plants a little bit so they all make flowers and seeds earlier than they usually would do, like some other nah, plants No, there's, there's no plants there. 
ah, so I want to spread the, the seeds there, but I have the seeds already somewhere. Yeah, you've got the seeds. Yeah, uh, drones. Okay, you've got the seeds. You've got some khaki, some um, pers- no, what, what's it called? Persimmon. And <laughs> you've got some small animals. <laughs> How do you spread the seeds? Uh, I put the seeds in my fruit and give feed it to the animals and then release them and they poop out the seeds. Absolutely. This is a um, a study that came out in the Journal of Applied Ecology a couple of months back in August by Silva et al. And it's called Inducing Seed Dispersal by Generalist Frugivores, a new technique to overcome dispersal limitation in restoration. And it's basically exactly what Yoram brilliantly came up with. Um, they looked they had like camera trapping and they basically put seeds within a bunch of different fruits and kind of put them available to eat by these animals obviously they had already removed the seeds from those fruit species because they didn't want to spread you know persimmons throughout the the native habitat so you first take out those seeds and then you put like other seeds in and then um they kind of followed to see if birds, mammals, bats, they had 24 different generalist frugivore species, so fruit-eating animals, um, which, you know, ate the fruit and then went away and then pooped out the fruit. And they could see that this was working because they retrieved the poop um, and they could see that they were able to germinate Doesn't the seeds. That the final point, like, you <laughs> let them run off. Well, this is, this is testing. This is like... Um, we're it's developing a, a new like method here. Massive human effort. They're collecting all of the poop again, and we're like, "Oh okay, yeah, it worked." The poop. I mean, they had seed. They had seed traps, so they had like, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's just, it's like a proof of concept, right? Yeah, yeah The sure. proof of concept <laughs> is that <laughs> I like it. Um, inducing seed seed dispersal by generalist frugivores is a low cost and easily managed technique. So, like, basically feeding animals and letting them poop is like quite a low cost technique for restoration compared to to other methods but it's nice right it's it's nice to think that this is it's quite a natural way it's not too disruptive um these animals are moving through what is like their native habitats so they're not you know you're not going in there with a bulldozer or a drone or like apparently an amazon package guy according to your <laughs> and you're just like letting a marmoset wander into the jungle and then poo out some seeds and voila you have a new tree <laughs> i think that's cool i mean for trees i've actually seen like drones that had a sort of revolver mechanism where they had saplings and they would then fly around and drop them and they had something heavy at the base so they would sort of pierce the ground and then bury themselves into the ground for like five to ten centimeters which apparently was enough for the saplings to survive and with that mm-hmm. they could like in an automatic way um yeah spread a ton of saplings in an area uh according to like a fancy video that i saw somewhere on a website so i don't know like how useful and economic the whole thing is i think it sounds easier to just feed a couple of animals and they do the job but yeah my my last fact for today is a sort of self-plug um, because uh, Dan Murphy from the blog Orchid Botany did a really cool post about plant podcasts and yours truly is also featured on there alongside a number of very cool other um, podcasts. So if you are into the genre of plant podcast, 
um, which I imagine you might be, because otherwise I don't really understand why you're putting up with this. So you must be a diehard plant podcast fan. So it might be very interesting for you to check out the blog post and see a couple of the others. There's like In Defense of Plants, Native Plant Podcast, The Field Guides, um, the Plant Crimes Podcast that we mentioned a couple of times as well um, from our friend Ellen, which is a really cool um, podcast um botanize cultivating place and and a couple more so um go and check check that out it's um yeah it's really nice and i think it's it's the first part of a series where um they are reviewing more and more um plant podcasts so yeah i found a very cool and a very cool specific list of great shows to listen to yeah, I would like to comment that um, he's also done a review of the show, like a longer form one a few months before. And there's a very nice comment about how you don't know what cats are, basically. <laughs> like it's something like, to Yoram, everything is a cat for the cat facts. So yeah, any dig at Yoram, I approve of. So well done. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very it's very nice. And also like the rest of his website is super cool as well. So yeah. you should definitely check that out. I mean, uh, we, we mentioned the, the website a couple of times before already because it's really cool. Um, and this is just one of the more recent examples of why it's cool. <laughs> of cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, this one is actually from a little while ago, uh, maybe like almost a month ago now. Um, but it's uh, the title is TLDR, Too Long Didn't Read, for those of you not in with the jargon of us young people. Um, <laughs> TLDR, this AI sums, AI is artificial intelligence. That's some other jargon that you older people might not know. Uh, sorry, I'm being ageist now. Um, TLDR, this AI sums up research papers in a sentence. So basically, it's a um, artificial intelligence that can pull through a study and make up one sentence that summarizes the finding of the entire study, which is kind of cool. Is it just really good at linking different sentences together so it makes like one massive mega sentence? Is that the whole AI? That's <laughs> what I would do. I would just like take the entire text of the paper, but replace every period with an end and <laughs> then say like, it's, it's just one sentence. It's a long sentence, but it's one sentence. So summary complete. Um, it doesn't say if there's a word limit to the sentence. I'm trying to look now. Um, I don't know. It does say it was inspired by like snappy sentences on Twitter. So maybe it's got like this. What is it now on Twitter? 240 is the word. 280. The 280 is the character limit. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if there's a, a limit. Um, but it is quite interesting because as I've said, like, so as part of the research for this blog, I often just troll through PubMed, like like I type in a Arabidopsis or I type in Extremophile or plant. Plant is problematic because you also get power plants. Um, but like I put in a keyword and I just like scroll through and look for exciting things. And I'm going through like tens, hundreds of articles. So I don't read the abstract of every single one. I just read the title. And that can be quite problematic because as I've shown consistently on this podcast, I easily am distracted by snappy little titles which have stupid puns in them, um, which is probably not the best way for me to be selecting the research that I read. Um, and in this case, I'm doing it as part of, you know, my funsies. It's not like part of the research for writing my own papers, but it is definitely something to consider. So I think a tool like this can definitely be quite helpful. And of course, also like different journals have different rules for how you write the titles. So um, some journals have very strict character limits and you have to have 
you know, one line of um, title with no punctuation, whereas others can have like a four line title. And sometimes like you see four lines of title and just like, really, I just, I just don't have the energy to read four lines. Like, it's just, it's so hard, you guys, like just so hard. Yes. Um, you have so no idea. Well, especially, I mean, honestly, especially when there's a lot of acronyms in the titles, like if it's like, a BRP gene interacts with the QRS to do the yeah. duck fan to pigeon. Like, I don't know what any of those mean and I would have to read the abstract to understand it. I mean, if I'm in that field, it's it's absolutely helpful. It's clear and I'll go to it. But as somebody who has like a more generalist interest in like cool things in plant science, that's not very useful. Yeah. So I think this could actually be quite a cool tool and I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how it, it goes. So I think currently the actual um, AI thingy is only a preprint so they put up the paper on archive yeah um but hopefully it will become a thing soon yeah yeah that's what it would be my question like if, is it already public facing like can we already drop pay uh, like pdfs in there and it gives us a summary in a title or in a sentence that would be really useful yeah. i don't know i'm just trying to look at the <laughs> i got this right because i'm looking at the abstract now and it says, we propose CATS, a simple yet effective learning strategy. What is this CATS they're talking about? Um, but it's C-A-T-T-S, so it's also an acronym, and I don't know what it means. Um, yeah, hopefully that will happen, and I won't have to understand. I'll just be able to use it. I think that's <laughs> my yeah. current name. But I put the link to the um, archive paper, but also to the original article in Nature that I read to lead me there. Awesome. Um, with that now there's one like small recommendation I want to give everybody um, wear, wear your mask no this is not a educational thing like that no, don't I be a jerk <laughs> <laughs> brush your teeth in the morning and in the evening and maybe after every meal um, no uh, I've, we would don't send... over brush your teeth my, my dentist always tells me off about that you brush too hard <laughs> no like um <laughs> I don't want to go on a tangent now how I brush my teeth. Um, <laughs> this is like, I'm so sorry, listeners. I really do apologize. I, no, I'm never ashamed. Um, I just want to quickly figure out, and my internet is slow because I'm in Germany. It's annoying. Um, GMI Vienna um, sent us a cool video from an advent calendar that one of their postdocs is doing, uh, GMI Vienna, as far as I can tell. It's a research institute um, in Vienna, Austria. Um, it's the International Center for Basic Plant Research in Austria. And um, one of their postdocs is doing a really cool advent calendar where they publish a short video, I think, every day. Um, and one that they sent us is about peanuts. And it's a really cool video about how peanuts grow um, because I had no idea how that happens. Um, and the video is in the audio is in German, but it has good English subtitles and it's rather short. So there's pretty much no excuse not to watch it. It's really cool. So check that out um, and learn something about peanuts because I'm fairly sure that you um, will be surprised because I was. Um, so yeah, so you should all go and check out the video. It's by Eva Knoch. Um, and usually, uh, yeah, you said it already, she, she talks about um, molecular aspects of plant biology, but this one is very botanical and very cool. 
Um, and while we're on the topic of advent calendars, we also want to give a shout out to our Instagram friends, um, Flora L Design. So Floral Design, but Flora Dash L Design. Um, they use microscopy patterns, so sort of um, cells or um, like leaf patterns, um, isolated Arabidopsis, um, like protoplasts, really cool stuff. And they make fabric from with these patterns on them. And they're also running an advent calendar where they have sort of different new patterns or different um, products that they're bringing up each day. So that's also definitely worth checking out. It's It's really, really beautiful. It's really lovely to see what is recognizably like part of a living organism but also just a really beautiful abstract and also like strangely symmetrical and like visually pleasing pattern so yeah go and look at that we'll put the link in um and now we managed to arrive at this cat fact and this week, um, it's a short one because it's simple and I didn't do a lot of research on it. I just remember seeing it on some website. They had like a short gif of that. Of um, Adorable, remorseless, killing machine is the world's deadliest yeah. cat. And it's, um, I mean, the title says a lot of it already. It's a very small cat that looks incredibly cute. But um, when it goes hunting, it has a success rate of about 60%, which is the highest of all cats. Um, so it goes out, uh, it goes out and hunts all night, um, and it is a really good hunter. So I don't know if it just knows when it's not worth to to, to attack, so that it's it keeps a good success rate by leaving out attempts that could fail. So or is this a like somebody's pet cat? Is it like a specific individual no, no. cat, or it's a species? <laughs> no, no, it's a it's a species of cat. It's a black-footed cat. And it's like a small wild species. Still sounds species. like just a cat. <laughs> <laughs> the black-footed cat. I'm, I'm googling now. Um, yeah, but it's a um, it's a it's a small wild cat Aww. species. It has like a baby cat face. It's yeah. got like really fluffy little cheeks. Yeah, like oh, even guys. the adults, they look just like the cutest tiny little baby cats. Um, oh. There's one on there's one on Google where it looks like it's being told off and it looks like so ashamed of its naughty murder. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, and they're incre incredibly pretty, but also um <laughs> I know which one you mean. <laughs> Guys, good Google image. I want one. <laughs> um and there's also like a short video and, like they it sort of made the news a couple of years ago already um, when PBS did a show on um, cats in different um, habitats around the world. And they also filmed this cat in the wild, which apparently was quite hard to do um, because they're nocturnal and they are yeah, just very good at hiding and killing. Um, but they managed to get them on video and they, they in moving form, they're even cuter. <laughs> so um, incredibly really cute killing hide. death machines. Oh, oh! In the article, they have one, and he's got his little front paw stretched out, and he's like doing the little stretch thing. It's <laughs> really cute. Uh, cats yeah, are the best. I, 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 I want not one. I want a couple of those. I mean, they wouldn't like it here, but and they would completely eradicate the bird population in the neighborhood. But I want them. <laughs> yeah. 
All I want for Christmas is a small little deadly cat. Okay, I think that's it for us today. Should we do the wrap up? Yeah. Um, before we do the full outro, I want to say thank you to Heike, who sent us a very nice message. Um, she sent us an email with some cool information about um, GMO acceptance and genome editing acceptance in Germany. Um, that was really cool. Thank you for that. Uh, I enjoyed reading about that. And maybe that will make its way into some um, podcast episode or article in the future. And if you thought the way that Yoram just thanked Heiko was nice, imagine how many thanks we'll have for the person who can call or write in and tell us how the hell the world goes deathly and desertly when people become zombies. I really want a biological explanation to this one, guys. So if you can come up with a rationale that doesn't involve actual zombies, I'll be so happy. Like, so, so happy. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a very good point. Um, so if you want to get in touch with us and send us these amazing messages, um, you can reach us on social media. Um, on Twitter, you can talk to me. That's at Plants Pipettes. On Instagram, it's at Plants and Pipettes. That's usually me. Uh, same on Facebook. Also you. Oh, yeah. Also Facebook. <laughs> and um, and we also have a website, which is www.plantsandpipettes.com. You can contact us via that. And you can also look at our podcast and our new blog posts when we get back to posting again in January. Um, yeah. So we would really like to hear from you. Uh, you can rate us. Please rate this podcast wherever you can rate podcasts on iTunes or, or something. That would be really nice. Like maybe don't rate us based on this episode. I'm not sure that... <laughs> This is the one we want our ratings to be based on. Um, yeah, that's true. One star, completely random. Too much talking about Christmas music. Very little plants, very little facts. <laughs> um, if you want to support us, um, that would be really nice. You can find more information on plantsandpipettes.com slash support. Um, we had a couple of people supporting us um, through PayPal in the past and it always made our day. It's really cool. Um, but even if you don't want to spend any money, which I know is um, there are very, very good reasons and very uh, many other projects that are more deserving than our little crazy show here. Um, but what you can do to help us is just spread the word. It really helps a lot. If you tell your friends uh, about the show, if you, th if you know somebody who would like this sort of thing, whatever this sort of thing is, um, tell them that really helps us. Yeah, and if you ever want to um, be involved in any way, reach out and talk to us. Um, yeah. Let's have a chat. And as always, our opening and closing music is Caravana by Philip Gross. Yes, and that's it. See you next year. Have a safe and fun holiday season. Mm -hmm. Talk to you not so very soon, but soon. Soon. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha